All right. Welcome to Why Is This Good, a podcast by the Naples Writers Workshop. I'm Christine and I'm here with John. Hey, John. Hello. All right. It's your turn. What'd you pick? I picked a story by Ambrose Bierce called An Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. Excellent. And you have a section you're going to read? I do. The man who was engaged in being hanged was apparently about 35 years of age. He was a civilian, if one might judge from his dress, which was that of a planter. His features were good, a straight nose, firm mouth, broad forehead, from which his long dark hair was combed straight back, falling behind his ears to the collar of his well-fitted frock coat. He wore a mustache and pointed beard, but no whiskers. His eyes were large and dark gray and had a kindly expression, which one would hardly have expected in one whose neck was in the hemp. Evidently, this was no vulgar assassin. The liberal military code makes provision for hanging many kinds of people, and gentlemen are not excluded. The preparations being complete, the two private soldiers stepped aside, and each drew away the plank upon which he had been standing. The sergeant turned to the captain, saluted, and placed himself immediately behind that officer, who in turn moved apart one pace. These movements left the condemned man and the sergeant standing on the two ends of the same plank, which spanned three of the cross ties of the bridge. The end upon which the civilian stood almost, but not quite, reached a fourth. This plank had been held in place by the weight of the captain. It was now held by that of the sergeant. At a signal from the former, the latter would step aside, the plank would tilt, and the condemned man go down between two ties. The arrangement commended itself to his judgment as simple and effective. His face had not been covered, nor his eyes bandaged. He looked a moment at his unsteadfast footing, then let his gaze wander to the swirling water of the stream racing madly beneath his feet. A piece of dancing driftwood caught his attention, and his eyes followed it down the current. How slowly it appeared to move. What a sluggish stream. He closed his eyes in order to fix his last thoughts upon his wife and children. The water touched to gold by the early sun, the brooding mists under the banks at some distance down the stream, the fort, the soldiers, the piece of drift, all had distracted him. And now he became conscious of a new disturbance. Striking through the thought of his dear ones was a sound which he could neither ignore nor understand, a sharp, distinct, metallic percussion like the stroke of a blacksmith's hammer upon the anvil. It had the same ringing quality. He wondered what it was, and whether immeasurably distant or nearby. It seemed both. Its recurrence was regular, but as slow as the tolling of a death knell. He awaited each stroke with impatience and, he knew not why, apprehension. The intervals of silence grew progressively longer. The delays became maddening. With their greater frequency, the sounds increased in strength and sharpness. They hurt his ear like the thrust of a knife. He feared he would shriek. What he heard was the ticking of his watch. He unclosed his eyes and saw again the water below him. If I could free my hands, he thought, I might throw off the noose and spring into the stream. By diving, I could evade the bullets and swimming vigorously reach the bank, take to the woods and get away home. My home, thank God, is as yet outside their lines. My wife and little ones are still beyond the invader's farthest advance. As these thoughts, which have here to be set down in words, were flashed into the doomed man's brain rather than evolved from it, the captain nodded to the sergeant. The sergeant stepped aside. Like I was saying before we started recording, I hadn't heard of this one and you were shocked. So why don't you tell people? <laughs> shocked. Yeah, which you shouldn't be anymore by now, but tell people why you picked this one and what it's kind of known for. 
it's relatively famous as far as I'm aware. You know, it's in a lot of anthologies. It's an interesting uh, exercise in point of view. I remember I wrote a story long, long ago for a workshop at school and some guy in the class was like, oh, you should read an occurrence at Otter Creek. Uh, he might have said Otter Creek thinking I think there's a live song with that title. But it, it was like, you know, the situation that's done here was something that was similar to what I had done in that story. But ever since the story keeps coming up in random places throughout my life, like it'll pop up in an anthology, it'll pop up somewhere. And so one of those stories, that it's always around. Yeah. You mentioned that it's like a unique approach to point of view. Do you know like why else though? Like it's just one of these good stories that everyone talks about in anthologies or is it mostly the point of view stuff? Oh, I, I don't know the history of, I mean, it's just, it's, you know, Ambrose Bierce was a well-known writer. He um, okay. wrote a bunch of stuff and um, this is one of the stories that he's known for. Okay. And it just has that twist ending that like, you know, right. it comes out of nowhere and people, that's, that's a memorable thing. So I think that's one of the reasons it just hung around. Right. One of the first things I noticed when I started reading was that it felt as if the story started like a drone shot of what is this stuff going on down at this creek? And then we zoomed in and zoomed in and zoomed in until we were like a close third person, you know, and all of a sudden we're like in his head. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, whoa, I think we just broke like five rules because we (laughs) didn't start in his head at all. We kind of started with like a lay of the land and then we were in his head. And then I almost wondered if we were going to be shifting to other people throughout but then we stuck with him and once we stuck with him it was fine but that was one of the first things i noticed oh yeah like that first section you're not sure until the ending there who's the characters like what character we don't want to pay attention to right i mean the first line is a man stood on upon a railroad bridge and it turns out that man is the man that we're going to know but he doesn't even have a name until after the section i read it's like the beginning of section two it's like peyton farquhar was a well-to-do planter and then then we start learning about who he is but up until right. that point we don't even know yeah you're right to call someone a man and then for the rest of the story to be in what is kind of like a dream state for his brain is quite a flex that's right tobias wolf and a bullet, uh, bullet in the brain he gave the guy a name in the first lines yeah you know kind of from the get-go in that story who you're going to be with and that's like the only that's a pretty direct comparison to what we just read in terms of the type of story that like i mean the entirety of the story takes place from the time he's about to be killed to his actual death which is Mm -hmm. in both cases a matter of seconds if that (laughs) yeah yeah is like drawn out for a short story i forgot about that one episode four folks check it out yeah i knew it was early i knew it was rob well, the other thing I noticed, though, one, by the time I finished the story was how he had essentially pulled off one of these methods that most people hate, which is it was all a dream. Yeah. We hate yeah. that stuff. You know, it's such a cheap trick if it's the entirety of your story and he managed to do it. <laughs> so the whole story is a trick, right? Like that is yes. the story. That is what this is, is that trick. You know, he commits to it. That's the point of what he's doing, right? So it's not like right. uh, he's trying to get us invested in a uh, in a situation whose outcome is undermined by the trick. It's the trick is kind of the point of what's happened of the situation. Which I'll have to read the Tobias Wolf one again, but um, he wasn't tricking us in that. No. You know, yeah, it was more like the span of the moments when a bullet enters your brain and when it explodes yeah. your brain for good. <laughs> but that 
that one was set up, it was all seen in the bank until the bullet went in his head. And then yeah. it was just like this unspooling of his thought process. And it was mostly, he did not think about this. He did not think about that. He did not. And then it yeah. finally rests on You're this right. final image of playing baseball. I got to reread that one now. That was such a good one. That was a really good story. Yeah. A little different, but but interesting that it focuses on like such a tight time frame in a human's life. Or death. Yeah. <laughs> By the time you finish this story and you realize that it has been a farce for the reader. <laughs> it was done well enough and it was like kind of poignant enough that I didn't feel I had been cheated. I, you know, immediately understood why it was done this way. I think when we do feel cheated in these situations, it's because the trick or the dream state has been of like no consequence. Yeah. And here, the trick or the dream state was kind of this merciful moment right before the actual end. And it wasn't a trick of the narrator to create something like this as like a what if he thought this it's almost like we were to take it as this is what was actually happening in his brain you know that he's thinking to himself in his final moment that he could still get out of this and be home with his wife if things pan out it's like his hopes and dreams versus the narrator just being like what if like this actually played out in the character's head I'm trying to think of a movie that does it was all a dream to you and it's like god it's usually like an intro to something you know and then it's like all right now here's the real story but when it's like the entire movie it's always like why did you do that to me I've just invested all of this time and it wasn't real but this is real yeah I can't think of a of an example of that they always say don't do that yeah it feels common in like kids stuff like cartoons or oh, like man. the little middle school sitcom where it's like Oh, God. Oh, and then I woke up. Yeah. So I don't know that we've come out and said it explicitly, but this is a story about a guy that's about to get executed. As it's happening, he's thinking to himself, I'm going to get hung and then I'm going to like potentially fall into the river lifeless, or I could hope to fall into the river, swim away safely and be done. I'm just glad either way that I'm not going to get shot and killed because that's the worst way to go. And then it turns out he does get shot and killed. No, he doesn't. Yeah, he get, he was, he was no. killed by a bullet. No, he, 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 died. he never got off the rope. Uh, okay, let me pull this up then. Let me see where I went wrong. The last paragraph, he says, he is about to clasp her, his uh, wife, I think. He feels a stunning blow upon the back of the neck. That's where the, you know, the knot breaks his neck. A blinding white light blazes all about him and the sound like a shock of a cannon. Then all is darkness and silence. Peyton Farquhar was dead. His body with a broken neck swung gently from side to side beneath the timbers of the Owl Creek Bridge. Okay. I thought that he was like shot at the same time that he was like hung so that they didn't have to think that he um, was going to survive the water part. I see why you would think that. Yeah, because yeah. it's not clear. But I get, I get it now. There's like an impact in the back of his neck, like as if he'd been shot or something. That makes, yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, the cannon sound is like the actual breaking of bones. Yeah, it's like the breaking of his conscious world. You know, it's just like it's over. <laughs> Anyway, he's hoping not to get shot, and then he actually does get hung. He gets killed either way. He's trying to escape. He's like, oh, I, I d- yeah. the rope snapped, and now I'm underwater. Now how can I get out of this? And then, oh, I got to swim, yeah. and then they're shooting at me. I got to dive underwater, and then I come up, and now they're, it's um, fire at will, so they're going to be more likely to hit me and all this stuff. And then he climbs out, he gets away, and he's running towards his house, and then click. Yeah. Okay, so that's the whole story. But 
until you know that it's, you know, this trick, you're just enjoying what you think is like some of the best action you've seen in a long time. That's right. Like one of the biggest, most exciting scenes from, you know, a film where you're rooting for the villain and we don't really know what he's done, but we know that these other guys don't like him <laughs> and uh, whatever he's escaping, you're rooting for him, right? Because he's the underdog at this point and the stuff that he does in this dream state where he, you know, thinks he's about to be strangled and all of that description is feels so real. I don't know anything about being strangled or thinking that my neck's about to break, you know, but it felt very believable and um, still kind of fresh. I don't, I don't feel like I've read a description of the life being choked out of you like that. And then once he's underwater, he like sees a shimmer of like sunlight and he's like, I could probably swim up there. And then he's like, oh, my hands are already working at the knot, you know, like his adrenaline is kicking in and like his will to live is operating like outside of his brain at this point and his body is just like doing the work of making this possible and then he like surfaces and then like he said they start to open fire and then he gets nicked by one of these bullets at one point but anyway you're reading all this and thinking like holy crap he did it oh my god It's it. like, yeah, it's so badass. And I could picture it the whole time. A lot of times I have trouble, especially with like some of those older story style methods. I feel like sometimes I'm struggling to picture what's going on. But here I had like a vivid picture from the beginning to the end. Like I could draw the scene for you the way he described it. And I understood everything that was like kind of playing out. All the action was just like so good. It felt modern in the sense of it keeping my attention. Yeah. And then the way it was like described and everything, I was like, this is the kind kind of scene from a book that you don't have to adapt <laughs> for the screen like you just follow the instructions and it would be like some good film and then at the end you know you think he's about to like embrace his beautiful wife and he's like relieved and he's been trekking through the forest to get to his little cabin which he, I think at one point he describes as being like safely out of reach of these guys that were going to try to kill him and you're like oh my god and then he actually gets killed I think it was like touching too because it's sad to think that when his death was so certain and apparent to everyone else that he still had this wild hope that it was so vivid and specific too made it really sad throughout all that you're talking about like how it straddles it's on this line it's an old story an older story from 1891 now we read that sarah orn jewett story those around the same around the same time and uh there's a certain style to 19th century writing that's a little different than later 20th century (laughs) writing but there's like little flashes of that here there, like there's this line right at the beginning of section three or near the beginning of section three he just fell down from the bridge lost consciousness and was as one already dead and then he gets this pain comes up and it says these pains appeared to flash along well-defined lines of ramification and to beat with an inconceivably rapid periodicity i marked up i was like well there's a 19th century sentence for (laughs) you Yeah, where it's kind of like $10 words and a little flowery for what's actually happening right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it all, it's like, you know, what's happening there, but it's a little ornate. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. It's not Hemingway, right? No. Yeah. And it's not that it's like overdone. It's just like, that was probably the biggest flex of the time was to be yeah. like, oh my God, look at this sentence. 
which we still do. It's just the criteria for the type of sentence is a lot different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're showing off. And then as you're going through it, there's this paragraph where he's like, he was now in full possession of his physical senses. They were indeed preternaturally keen and alert. Something in the awful disturbance of his organic system had so exalted and refined them that they made record of things never before perceived. He felt the ripples upon his face and heard their separate sounds as they struck. He looked at the forest on the bank of the stream, saw the individual trees, the leaves, and the veining of each leaf, saw the very insects upon them, the locusts, the brilliant-bodied flies the gray spiders stretching their webs from twig to twig. He noted the prismatic colors and all the dewdrops upon a million blades of grass, the humming of the gnats that danced above the eddies of the stream, the beating of the dragonfly's wings, the strokes of the water spider's legs like oars which had lifted their boat. All these made audible music. A fish slid along beneath his eyes and he heard the rush of its body parting the water. This is like kind of giving excuse to the immense attention to detail that's about to proceed from here. You know, like every moment is going to be so, like you said, vivid and clear, even though it's being given to us through his conscious awareness. I thought that was a uh, kind of a marked place in the flow of the story where suddenly you're just receiving every impression that's that's uh, around him. Yeah. This is like stream of consciousness at its fullest. That was my favorite part. I remember reading that and kind of like thinking to myself that it defined what this part of the action was going to explore. Because he like dabbled with this sense of like, you know, like in the Matrix when they dodge bullets and they say mm-hmm. that you can slow down time and in really tense situations, it feels like things are unfolding in slow motion. And we got a sense of that when he first started drowning, when he was first underwater and his hands are working at the knot. But then the passage that you read was when I like keyed in and I was like, okay, this is where they're going to kind of show off. And it, yeah, it all came alive. All the descriptions of the things that he can't actually see with his naked human eye and he can't actually hear. But yeah, the author is like slowing down the world for you. And then yes. like setting up what's going to happen with like the bullets and the water and all that stuff. Now, as a reader, your expectations are that he can dodge these things. He is like completely in tune with his body. Like his body has taken over and it's like functioning at its highest level right now. And that made it cool too. It was like a little superhero transformation or something. And then, yeah, it's also just a like that was a such a good section to read. It was fun. Um, another thing that I made note of was that I thought that this was kind of the perfect length for what it is it tried to pull off, you know? Oh, yeah. 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 Good point. When it was over, and I talk about this all the time, you can tell when a story is about to be over because <laughs> you can see the sentences. Yeah. So I'm thinking to myself, wow, this story is going to end with him getting his way and what uh, an exciting thing. And then, you know, the last couple or maybe it's just the last paragraph with that reveal is like, wow, okay, got to reread <laughs> now. But by the time it's over, like, I said you don't feel cheated because he does pull it off but by the time it's over and you realize what it is you've read you kind of realize that had you invested too much more time in this kind of plot you know or too little that like it might not have landed that way i can't think of a time that a writer of ours in any of our groups has done something like this with like a oh but it was all a dream but you can definitely think of like stories that you've read where the trick was cute but it got less cute the longer it went on (laughs) you kind of like tested the limits of the trick i know in college i was in a workshop and a girl wrote a story from the perspective of a dog and like by the third clue if you hadn't guessed it you were already sick of the trick like you didn't know that it was a dog you just knew that like the perspective was slightly off and that you weren't picking up on it but you weren't excited about picking up on it by that point and by the time you realized what it was and that there wasn't also another underlying story to the trick that you were just 
just like watching, like just reading and watching the writer like show off. That's when I think you feel cheated. And and here it's like the point is that this really did happen in his head. It is the story. I think that one of the reasons that this works in this story is that from the moment he drops from the um, from the bridge, and he, like, in reality he drops and he, his neck breaks and he dies. In his mind, he like has this whole adventure, but nothing that happens in that adventure faces him with some like moral decision that we as readers would then become invested in. Right? All he's doing is okay. I got to get away. I got to get away. He's swimming. He's running, and then it catches up with him because you know his mind and his body are are not separate after all. And I think that, you know, the main decision of the story happened before. It was like when that um, that guy comes, is dressed up as a uh, Confederate soldier and he comes to the house and he's like, oh yeah, the, the Northern Army's across the river and uh, I don't know, too bad something can't be done. And the guy's like, oh, what could I do if I went over there? He's like, well, you could blow some stuff up. And then he's like, all right. And then the last line is, that guy is actually a spy from the other side. And he set him up. And then uh, presumably he went and tried to do that, got caught, and now he's going to get hanged for trying that um so that's like the only real choice in the story the only real like character making a a choice and doing a thing yeah the rest of it's all reaction right Right. it's all the rope didn't kill me now i'm in the water and people are shooting at me i have to react and get away right so none of the stuff that happens after that really has that those moral implications that were a decision like if he was confronted with something it could potentially you know when it was revealed to not have actually happened then we we'd get upset and throw the book against the wall but if it's not because it doesn't happen there i think that helps because what this this is it's not it's not quite a story in the traditional sense where there can you know a character faces a problem and makes choices and tries to to overcome that problem it's more of an idea and what we get out of it is the experience of conscious experience right when we focus in on those really small details and we kind of like go along with him and see what he sees and feels what he feels we're getting the experience that he had not necessarily a story in the traditional sense and i think that's why it works sure so you're not like you're not being given this like setup like it is going to be a story and then hoping that a character makes a certain choice or that he has motivations that you're completely clear on it's just like just an action scene but then it's kind of bookended by this trick that we keep talking about yeah something like that I mean, that makes sense I mean, I don't know if that's extensible. Like if you can make that and happen in any story and it will work because of that structure, but I think it helps for this one at least. Well, I'm trying to think of like other, I don't Examples. know, maybe you can, <laughs> yeah. The one that you picked, like the Omegles or whatever. Omalas. The, the ones who walk away from Omalas. Yeah. Omegles, that's like random chat site. Oh, Omegle. No, that's right. That. Omegles the chat room. <laughs> <laughs> That's just like the first one I'm thinking of where we might have had a conversation about whether this is a story and if it is, is it more like a fable and less like a story? But that one's totally different because the characters are making decisions. Yeah, that story, the characters, each town folk is confront, they have to confront the child at the bottom of the city and they have to make the decision whether they're going to live there or not. That one's more of a philosophical inquiry than a story, but it still has uh, story elements to it. Okay, well, here's maybe why it it reminds me of it because what you just said tips me off. 
off. Like you said, it's a story technically according to your definition, but it's the purpose is not to tell you a story. Yeah. It's an entry to this discussion that they want to make, this point that they want to make. Yeah. Otherwise it would be like uh, so-and-so, the such-and-such, and then this history of who that person is, and then they're walking down the corridor to meet the child, right. and then they're about to confront them, and you get the whole right. background, and the, but you get the scene of them confronting the child, whereas right. it, that one was more of like an overview summary. And we got the scene of it, but not personalized. It's not yeah. fictive in that way. Well, maybe a way to describe this story then to make it like more widely applicable is not to really talk about the fact that this was like a trick or not technically a story, but more that like, you know, the point of this was to get that experience. And so there are stories that kind of back into providing an experience for you. And there are things like fables and things like, like where a story just wants you to do a little bit of work, whether it's like, I want you to experience this and think about what this is like, or I want you to have this philosophical debate in your own head. But it feels like more of a challenge to the reader than here's a story. <laughs> yeah, I think you said something about the length that seems perfect for it. And, you know, flash fiction is often, here's um 700 words that gives you this like really concentrated emotion. Yeah. And um, that's not really a story, but it's worth reading. And it's, if, you know, if it's well done, then it's um a good experience. So when I say a story, that is, it's not like a, a judgment. It's not saying like it has to be a story or it's bad. <laughs> Right. No, but flash fiction is a really good example because of the constraints, like the best you can hope for. And it's a lofty goal given the constraints is like you said, to come away with a feeling. And some do story. They do traditional stories. Sure. Yeah. It's just like when we talk about whether or not it was satisfying, we're usually talking about whether or not we had an emotional reaction to it Yeah, when it's that short. So that makes sense too. I had an emotional reaction to this story. I was thinking, God, that sucks. <laughs> and it's very sad. And it, it made me contemplate, you know, you, you pointed out that he had no agency. He didn't make any decisions, but that's kind of the point, right? Yeah. It's the point of the story is that he didn't have a choice, but his brain still went through all the hoops of well, what can I envision right now? <laughs> and it was so real. I heard a long time ago that um, when like skydiver jumps out of an airplane and um, parachute doesn't deploy, they generally find there's two main reactions among people. The first kind of person kind of freezes and they don't know what to do. And they just scream and tumble through the sky and they hit the ground. The second kind of person is always trying to do something. They're always problem solving. They're reaching for other cords. They're trying to like untangle something, whatever it is. And then they hit the ground trying to figure out a solution. And this guy feels like that second one, right? Holy he's shit. that one who's, uh, even though there's nothing he can do to get out of it, he's, his mind is swirling through the possibilities of what could he do? <sighs> wow. I'm going to be thinking about that skydiving shit for a while. That is <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. It happens. You know. Oh yeah. It happens way too much. It's just why you will never catch my ass skydiving. <laughs> Why do you know so much about this? I don't know. Just picking things up along the way. All right. I don't know if this is like a fear of yours or. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. I'm, I'm always interested in people. Like what makes people do things and that kind of like what motive, you know, as a writer, you want to like pay attention to the kinds of things that drive people and the kind of characteristics that people can have or can lack that you can portray in a story. And so that right. kind of stuff about like what happens when the parachute doesn't open, right? you know, that's rich for like finding out what is in the hearts of human beings. Oh yeah. As soon as you said that, I was like, wow, that's a short story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Anything else to say about this? Another thing I wanted to mention was the last paragraph shifts the present tense. Oh. You know, the moment when he, uh, everything is past tense, as far as I could tell. Yeah. yeah. 
Suddenly he heard a sharp report, a counter squirrel had caught. Um, and then the last paragraph is, he fell asleep while walking. For now he sees another scene. He stands at the gate of his own home. All is as he left it. This is present tense until he dies, until uh, as he is about to clasp her, he feels a stunning blow upon the back of his neck. A blinding white light blazes all around him. And then the last paragraph, which is only that one sentence, Peyton Farquhar was dead. His body with a broken neck swung gently. That's past tense again. Right. You know, I think it's obvious why that happened, but it, it might be useful to point that out. Why the shift happened? Yeah. Maybe it's not obvious. Maybe uh, I don't know. I mean, it. I get the effect, but I didn't notice it. So why do you think it's obvious? Well, it's because it's the moment. It, this is like the moment that everything is is leading to. Right. And there's this moment. This is the present. This is the eternal moment of his dying. So that's the present moment. Everything that led up to that is the past. And then the last paragraph, shifting back to the past, is also a shift in point of view. You know, because now it's third. It's more um, third person removed. It's not in his in yeah. his uh, psyche anymore. Yeah, because his brain is dead. Brain is gone. That part I understand, kind of the removal, but yeah, I didn't, I missed the tense part. Yeah. And of course we comment on tense all the time when we do uh, the workshop and stuff. And it's important. I don't want to say it's not important to get that right, but readers don't always notice. <laughs> they don't pay attention to these little Readers details. don't notice when it's done correctly. They notice right. when it's done incorrectly, which is why we focus on it. But you're That's right. right. That's the right. The goal is that we don't notice this stuff. Yeah. The goal is that you forget about the words, right? <laughs> yeah. Which is why we're pointing this out and this is a really good example it's like it worked so well that i completely glossed over it but i still understood the way that this was laid out that that was a pivotal moment his arrival home right mm-hmm. whether or not i can articulate that it was the tense shift that did it in my brain or the fact that i could see the page coming to an end whatever it was it was done expertly which is why yeah. we have to point it out all right. So now do you have a lesson, a takeaway? So my takeaway, I guess, would be not every story has to be a story. <laughs> wow. A stark shift man, in everything man. that it's you hard have for said me to, to this that. point. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> I've been coming to that for a while though. And I think oh my God. just thinking about it, like, in, okay, in the workshop, I think it's important to point out to people that you should try to write a story. People need to know what that looks like and what it feels like to have like an actual character with facing a problem, trying to overcome it. It's important, but fictional writings can do other things. They don't all have to do that thing. There can be other purposes to which the craft is put. Okay. And this is a good example of that. It's not necessarily like that traditional form of character facing a problem that it's trying to i mean it, it, you could line that up but that's it's different because of the fact of choice and decision making and agency sure. so it's not quite a story in that sense but yeah so that's my takeaway is maybe you can do other things with fiction wow <laughs> john's <laughs> takeaway is you don't have to listen to any of the other episodes we've ever yeah. recorded because he just contradicted all of them we're gonna stop now <laughs> yeah okay well i'm pretty sure i've talked about this before and it's not really um mind-blowing or anything this is it's under extreme duress that i present this takeaway which is that <laughs> <laughs> i think like you said that this is a good example of like fiction being able to do more than tell a story and you know be enjoyable for a reader what i think is a simple takeaway for why it works is back to what i said about this being a good length if you're going to attempt something that isn't traditionally a story and if it's going to feel like you're being clever somehow maybe give yourself a word limit because like i said with the dog example the longer the trick went on the less cute it got 
that. Yeah. <laughs> and when you cue something quick and there is a trick, we've definitely read stories like this in the workshop where it's like, it was short, there was a twist. And we talk about had I invested more of my brain power on this, the twist would have been less and less satisfying and more and more like deceptive and <laughs> annoying. So if you're going to do something that's like non-traditional or you're thinking to yourself, I wonder if I can pull this off. Maybe one of the ways to test the waters and not waste your own time would also be to give yourself like a word limit. And I don't know what this one is. I would say it's like 3000 words max. I don't know. It was really quick. Yeah. It seems about right. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, we wouldn't call it slash fiction. No, it's too long for that. Yeah. So that's, that's my, uh, <laughs> that's my big takeaway. I think word limits are good anyway. Yeah. It's always a good thing. I mean, you don't have to give yourself a specific word limit, but just knowing that your story shouldn't be more than your idea. It should be bigger than the idea. Yeah. If it's a simple yeah. idea, it's a small story. As it yeah. grows and it becomes more complicated, it could be a novel or it could right. just be a couple of pages. Right. Well, I have the opposite problem where I can come up with short story concepts all day because <laughs> for me, they're like this tiny like breadcrumb of, of a notion. I'm like, oh, I can write about that for 3000 words. For me, it's more like when I come up with like a bigger idea, like a whole slice of bread, then I'm like, how do I get a loaf out of this? And that's when I end up with like all this fucking filler wonder bread shit and it's <laughs> terrible and nobody wants it and i'm like having a rough time generating it yeah that's a good point though to have the, the reverse idea where it's like you know i can write about this for for this long and i can make this work for something short yeah there might be a formula for that somewhere if we could like work that out like if you have one idea it's like 500 words but 1500 needs three ideas or something i have that innate sense in my own brain where i'm like is this worth me rambling probably not <laughs> that's right i'm like it's gotta be yeah it's a sliding scale all right thanks guys if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to our monthly newsletter at our website, NaplesWritersWorkshop.com. And for daily writing tips, industry news, and great short fiction, join our Facebook group at Facebook.com groups slash Naples Writers Workshop.